Be very slow to hire these people. Take your time. Don't feel the pressure. I know you feel like you need to get them in, but trust me, if you got the wrong person in, it is going to slow you down much more than if you wait to make sure that's the right person. And again, you're defined by what you say no to more than what you say yes to. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today is our second episode of the First Hire series, where we talk about making first hires in marketing, finance, sales, and operations. A couple weeks ago, we covered operations, so be sure to check out that episode, and today's subject is hiring for sales. When is it time to hire a full-time salesperson? How do brokers fit into the picture? How do you recruit and hire the right salesperson? Here to help us answer these questions is Jake Huber, U.S. Sales Director of St. Pierre, America's number one brioche brand. Fun fact, Jake was our very first guest on the Startup CPG podcast for our What the F is a Broker episode, one of our most popular episodes, and we're grateful to have him back. Listen in as Jake covers why founders should do sales as long as possible, the five functions of a broker and why they are not a sales hire, setting expectations for your first sales hire, and more. Hi, Jake. Welcome to the show today. So glad to have you here. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about some sales hires. Yeah, absolutely. I am too. You are the second part in our first hires series, so I'm super excited to talk all things sales. Um, Could you kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and St. Pierre? Sure. Yeah. So I've uh, been in sales literally all my life. I had a few transgressions where I uh, worked in data analytics with Dunhumby, but I also was a broker, which is kind of a halfway between sales role. And then I ended up back in manufacturing, uh, heading up sales for some well-funded startups in the Bay Area, like Just, um, Tiny Hero, Right Rice, And then most recently, I head up U.S. sales for St. Pierre, which is America's number one brioche uh, company. So brioche burger buns, sliced loaf, uh, authentically French-made international business, which is uh, keeping me quite busy, um, but it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Awesome. That's great. And you mentioned having a long history in sales. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it looked like to get into a career in sales and then maybe a little bit of of what some of those roles have have looked like. Yeah, I mean, I'll even go back prior to CPG. Um, sales has just always been something I naturally gravitated to. And I, I rejected it internally for a long time. I did a lot of inside sales. So I sold newspapers. I was a telemarketer. Um, I've, I've sold a lot of different things. And mostly they were kind of what we would call 100% commission sales. So I didn't get a paid a salary. I got paid when I closed the sale, which is really tough to do when you're young. I mean, this is late teens, early 20s. You have no credibility. And I kind of cut my teeth on some of the hardest sales out there. And then eventually had a bit of a quarter life crisis. I was an inside sales resume up and down and literally hated every day of it. Uh, and so I ended up going back and getting an MBA, which opened my world to the world of, um, opened my eyes to the world of entrepreneurship and venture capital. And from there, I went and got what I called a big boy job, which was out of sales and ended up at Dunhumby um, Analytics. And I wanted to sell the entire time I was there. So uh, the passion leaving it made me realize how much I, I do use it. 
Um, and in an MBA, that's the one class they don't teach you is sales because they can't. Um, there's no scientific methodology behind it. And if they did try to do that, it'd be really boring and none of the salespeople would pay attention. So a uh, little bit of data analytics. And then I went over into brokerage um, and helped uh, represent natural food brands. I was really drawn to kind of those startups and represented them at Kroger. And then, yeah, from there, I, I ended up getting hired as the head of sales for Just, uh, which was kind of my first four-way, foray into running kind of uh, retail sales. And that, that was really great learning experience. Um, we hired a few people. There was an existing team there at the time. But then I left there and, and we started Tiny Hero, which was from scratch. So that was, you know, pre-money. Um, and we hired a you know, sales team and kind of went at it. And similar thing with right rice as well. So went through that a couple of times. And then as well as with St. Pierre, uh, oddly enough, we actually built the team from scratch here as well. Wow. Yeah, that, that is quite a path. It's it's definitely uh, p- picturing you as uh, in, in data analytics and trying to like burst through and get get back into sales that that definitely having worked in some analytics departments, that seems like that probably wasn't quite the right fit. <laughs> I stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> well, with with some of your experiences of kind of being being that first person in sales or being super early stages, what did that kind of look like? And for a lot of founders in our group, you know, it's just they're a solopreneur. They're maybe doing some of the sales themselves. What kind of indicators come up of like, okay, you know, should I, the the CEO, the founder, transition to sales? Should I hire someone to focus on sales? What kind of things are going on in the business and what kind of things should people be thinking through as they're trying to decide, do I make my first sales hire? Yeah, I think if you have time to think about it, you don't need a salesperson outside. So um, my philosophy is if you're a founder, uh, you are sales. Um, Sales is the engine of the car. Uh, All the other things like HR and finance and operations, those are all a function of sales as I kind of see the world. And as the founder, you need to understand what are the kind of roadblocks to getting your product sold? Why are people saying no? And when they do say yes, how does how does the mechanism, how does the whole system actually work? Because if you don't learn that, you will always be at the mercy of other people's expertise then you have to build your own expertise in order to kind of navigate those waters. And honestly, to be able to manage those hires effectively, you need to know at least a little bit about what their job is like. Um, And I know there's all different types of personalities and founders, but I would encourage all of them to be doing sales until you cannot do it any longer. Uh, You have built it enough to where the operations, the finance, the other kind of functions of the business uh, require your attention because you're the engine's running now and it's running at, you know, say 25 miles an hour and you can start building the other pieces of the car. And that is your job to oversee that. And you're going to need to have those inputs to understand how the operations work. So you need sales to figure out how operations work. So I encourage people to start in sales, no matter how uncomfortable it is, um, and work through those things until you can't anymore. And then that's when you know you need to hire somebody. Yeah, that. That's super helpful. And at what point, since you have broker experience, I'm curious about brokering as part of this conversation of, I also see, we see a lot of of founders in our Slack community looking for a broker. I have a lot of 
founders reach out to me saying, hey, I, you know, I need some sales help. So I'm going to hire this broker. And I'm curious about your perspective of when brokers should enter the picture and and what evaluating that looks like. I know that's a big question. Yeah. And they are a part of the process. Um, I don't look at brokers as people who sell. Um, I look at brokers as support for the brand who sells. So they largely will be doing um, making sure the paperwork is in order, uh, which is a huge deal. Like, don't underestimate the accuracy of the information you're sending to the retailer. It can cost you a lot of money. Um, but it's it's folly to think that if you just go to them and tell them your brand story, they're going to be out there proactively selling your brand. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. They've got dozens of clients, if not hundreds of clients that they have to answer to. And so they're largely reactive. And so it's upon you to be proactive with them and know how to manage them and understand what they do. And um, the way that I think is important, and I think it's, I had contacts at brokers, so it was easy for me to go and make my pitch to brokers. And I use brokers as sometimes a, a safe place to pitch first before I'm going to retailers to see how interested they are in actually representing me without any sale yet. If I can get a broker to sign up without any sales, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But then you're going to you're gonna direct them on where you're going and what's a priority account and what's not. And you kind of need to handhold them through that process. But they, they help you scale. So you can cover a lot more ground uh, by using broker networks. But rest assured, the sales, you know, energy and passion and actual you know, efficacy of sales comes from you, not the broker. Yeah, I'm super happy to to hear you say that and emphasize that for for our listeners, because and that's been my experience as well, even hiring brokers of it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. It's not outsourcing sales. It's you're still driving. You're still you're still the founder. You're still the sales engine. It's it's they're a tool that you have to decide how to use and use appropriately to navigate the industry. Yeah, and I'll I'll touch on one thing that and I I've done this for a startup CPG um, article and podcast before. Which there, there's five functions a broker does. They do a headquarter call. They do regional calls. They have data analytics. Uh, that's kind of some of the ways you can get data. Uh, they'll also manage distributors, and they're just going to help kind of process paperwork and deductions and things like that. So none of those things involve directly prospecting and selling, if you notice. Those are just five functions that they perform, and it's your job to go out and sell, but they can get you the audience. Right. Yeah, that's great. I love those those five functions. That's super helpful. And when a founder is looking, you know, so, they, so they've reached the point where they are going to make their first sales hire what are some of the things to think about as you're going out and you're going to you're going to hire that person as far as, you know, even down to title or compensation? We see lots of questions in the Slack of how do I compensate my first salesperson? What are some of the things they need to think about as they they post that first sales job? Yeah, um, <laughs> it depends. Um, but I think I can help narrow some things down here. One, they should have experience. Um, now, experience is a broad term and our industry is broad. So I like to look for people that, you know, complement my experience and skill set. Um, because if it was just a bunch of me's running around, I don't think any bills would get paid. So it's good to have some people that kind of can counterbalance because even in your first hire, you're still going to be involved in sales. In fact, 
you should always be involved in sales as a founder. You should be brought into high level meetings, um, whether that's for influence or just for, you know, to be able to answer the questions yes or no directly in that meeting. It's important you stay involved. So even if you hire somebody, um, I would hire somebody that's, you know, probably in the US what we would call a director level. So kind of mid level. Uh, these people can make anywhere from 80000 to $150,000 a year. Um, bonuses can be anywhere from 10 percent to 50 percent of base salary based on whatever kpis you want to incentivize them to um and it depends on the product you know are you through a warehouse are you going to be through a distributor are you an alcohol brand i mean there's a lot of detail that you know we're going to glaze over here but i i think it's important they understand the math side of promotions and how the mechanics of those are executed um there is some math involved it's not super detailed but you got to have a good feel for the numbers and your own you know um cogs and the price points you're trying to hit and that that salesperson needs to be able to kind of understand that um and i think that it's important that they you know um keep have have a um have a entrepreneur's mindset you're bringing in a higher very early on a startup is a very different environment than most companies and there's a specific personality types that thrive in those places these are people that move balls forward on their own they i know the word self-starter gets thrown around a lot but it is much rarer than you think and take time to understand if this person is is a self-starter that can handle the ambiguity of a startup and thrives in those environments not just tolerates but thrives in those environments right yeah someone from a that's done inside sales at a fortune 500 company maybe it was even in cpg but that may not translate to the day-to-day chaos that is the the life of a cpg startup yeah you know your first sales hires i mean you're you are marketing, category analytics, uh, and sales all rolled into one. And you got to be able to be resourceful across all three of those. And if you've got, you know, some experience in one of those functional areas, maybe it's field marketing, or maybe it is, you know, a little bit of category analytics, uh, those things help you kind of, you can leverage those to sell it. So it's all just about being resourceful. Are there any, I don't know if questions are the right words or, but indicators when you're interviewing or, or, you know, meeting with prospective people to join their team, are there any things that kind of help you suss out these qualities in, in someone on a team, whether it's, like I said, questions or experience to look for on their resume to help figure out if they're a good, you know, fit? You know, I struggle with this myself to this day. Um, I have always struggled with being able to to read somebody's menu, which is their resume, and discern whether or not they can do the job. And I keep coming back to, there's an old adage, and I don't know if it's totally appropriate, but it's, it's can I spend five hours in an airport with this person and not want to pull my hair out? Mm, yeah. And honestly, that kind of goes further. Like, it's really about your gut and your feel and what you see this energy and personality from. And I think you'll find as you're looking for that type of personality, um, these people like try and find it in your everyday life. And then you'll see the markers that then it shows up in the interview process and kind of what you're looking for. And some of this is self-selection. Most people who are, you know, applying to startups have an interest in startups, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have the 
personality or disposition to actually be effective in it. And so you do have to look for some track record there. If there is no track record, there's risk and then, you know, build that risk into your price. Um, just like anything. So I think, you know, you want to mitigate those risks. You want to maybe try them as a contractor to start, um, just feel them out a little bit more. I think the interview process is always so short and condensed. It doesn't do anybody any favor. So I try to use common sense and break out of the traditional molds of, oh, okay, I got to interview you one time and then I got to do a second interview and then I got to hire you. Um, so I, I, break rules all the time. And I highly encourage entrepreneurs to break the rules in these little things. Uh, they're not little, but the little interview processes and things like that, because entrepreneurship's about breaking rules. And you can also see how that person reacts to you breaking the rules on them and see how well they flow with, with the, with what you're doing with them. Cause that's, that's the world. Yeah. Those are really great tips. And yeah, <laughs> entrepreneurship is constantly breaking the rules. So uh, yeah, that ability and especially good salespeople are able to, because part of that is the creativity of coming up with a good deal on the fly. If you don't believe in in breaking any rules, you're not going to be able to come up with those those deals and those in those meetings and find those creative solutions. Yeah. I mean, an interview is, uh, is, is you're both selling each other. And so you, you need to look at how they're selling themselves to you. And it's also a good refinement. And you're probably going to be more versed at selling yourself to them because you've been selling your product. That's kind of what you're selling them on, the big dream, the big vision. And then you just got to see how much are they trying to sell you and how do they go about that and kind of have that third person view of watching yourself having this conversation with them and then seeing how they react when you do certain things. And, um, you know, can they can they respond uh, to, you know, ambiguity and uh, I throw them not trick questions, but things can throw people off balance and good salespeople uh, always land on their feet. Yeah. And what does the day-to-day look like? What does it look like for you in your your roles of these kind of early days? Everything's scrappy. You're the only salesperson and you're figuring it out. What does day-to-day look like? I'm wondering if you can describe it for those that may not be familiar or wondering what a day looks like in you know early startup sales. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty basic. It is literally me and I go back to what I know, which is cold emails, cold calls. I will scrape LinkedIn. I will. I, first off, you got to kind of figure out the, the, the strategy for what you're doing. Are you going to be a regional brand to start? Are you going national? What kind of funds do you have available to you? And I think really what what's important is that you get a good bead on where you think you're going to go and be successful. And then I go do it directly. I'm not going to go hire a broker necessarily. I'm going to go see if my pitch works or I'll hire a broker and make them get the, you know, get the appointments that I need. And then you're literally just out there creating a pipeline. So you got to shove stuff in every day. I got to spend time prospecting. Sometimes that's you know, indirect prospecting through a broker. So I'm asking them to go get these appointments. I'm following up on where they are with getting the appointment. Um, I'm tracking what distribution points we have gotten, how we're selling. I'm going to watch our numbers to make sure everything's working because just because the the retailer said yes and you had your first ship doesn't mean they're reordering. Doesn't There's always problems to go and find. So you got to keep a beat on your business. You're going to be logging and tracking your business quite a bit. Um, it's important that you always are tracking how many SKUs you have and where and how many stores. 
and you're just making sure that that's constantly going. And yeah, you're going to fill your pipeline. And then ultimately, the pipeline from emails comes to appointments. There's obviously there used to be uh, a lot more travel involved. You'd have to actually fly and go meet with people for 30 minutes and then come around, which at the time was ridiculous and even sounds more ridiculous today. Um, so those are largely Zoom meetings. Uh, and then you've got, you know, mutual uh, uh, ongoing business that you are, you know, having regular meetings uh, to make sure with the broker that everything's kind of processed uh, promotions. You're making sure they're being executed. You're making sure they're being set up. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can, you can deal with on a day to day, but, and then of course there's the things you just have to react to, um, you know, some fire you got to put out. Right. Yeah. And what would you say that founders in, or their team as they're adding their first salesperson, what can you do to really support your first sales hire? What kind of things can you have established by the time that they're there? Is it, you know, having some sales materials ready? Is it having some boundaries on go after these regions? What what can you really set up a salesperson for success for by having already done as a founder or or being able to pass over to your salesperson? Yeah. And this is um this would really help you as a founder to understand and actually shape the reporting structure that you prefer. So at the bare minimum you need an account tracker. Um that usually like I said is gonna say, you know, your the account you're in, the distributor it's going through, their contact information, the broker's contact information. This can all be done on Excel. I mean, there's a lot of people that use CRMs. Food service largely uses CRMs, and that makes sense. I've gotten away with not using CRMs my entire career for for CPG. Um, and so simple Excel spreadsheets on tracking your accounts and your distribution um, and all the metrics and contacts that need to be in there. I think it's important to have basic sell sheets, uh, sell sheets that would include, you know, the item, uh, basic specs around those items, operational specs, tie high, item weight, unit dimensions, everything a retailer would need to kind of see what this item is. You don't put pricing on it, but you do need price lists for them. Uh, typically, you have kind of two price lists. You have a distributor price list and a direct price list, but most of the brands in the entrepreneurship world are going to be working on their distributor price list. Some other things that you should have in place or have at least thought through is a national promotional calendar. What items are you generally promoting and when? Uh, obviously, that's important for highly seasonal businesses. If I'm selling hamburger buns and, and uh, I want to make sure that I'm selling them at 4th of July, I want to make sure we have deals going on at Memorial Day. Um, and so that gives the, your salesperson kind of some structure to work around. Um, and I think some expectations on just how how you like to be reported to and what type of information they're looking for and some some clear expectations on what they need to go do. Yeah, that's great. Because, yeah, I think it can be kind of ambiguous. And also, if a founder's strong suit isn't sales, it can be a little bit like it's it's hard to almost know what to expect or you're like, well, just go sell things. But having done the your own homework can really set up a salesperson for success. And you want to keep your salesperson motivated by having all the right things there for them to go sell. If you don't have all those internal housekeeping things done, you could also end up demotivating a person. You can. Um, and it and this is again, it depends. I've I was hired with none of this, and I actually led creating the pre, you know the standard presentation, the national promo calendar, uh, the sell sheets. You obviously work with marketing to do that, but if there's no marketing person, sometimes this all falls to the founder. But again, I think it's 
it all depends um, on who you're hiring and uh, what you're prioritizing and how much money you got. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're hiring someone that's been a little further down the road in the industry, they're probably not going to be comfortable creating their own materials. But if you're hiring a scrappy person that's down for anything, they may, may be like you and they may be up for helping create the the system and, and all the pieces they need. Yeah. And the question is, is have they done it? You know, um, and if they have created decks before, let me see a few copies of those decks. I'd like to see how you position things. How do you, how do you sell things? And, you know, the way that CPG works is, um, again, certain things don't need to be reinvented. There's, there's kind of a classic way of going through a, a presentation. So you, you kind of check all the boxes. I think there's ways to be innovative over that structure, but largely you're, you're kind of communicating the same thing. And it's, it's largely about building credibility more than anything. Um, because you're new, you're unproven, you may have a great product, but are you going to be around in a year? And they, they need to understand the, the retailer and other stakeholders need to understand that. So those people can help. Um, sometimes they can't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I feel like this is a tough question, but I'm curious about your perspective on, on expectations around timing for you hire, you know, you hire this awesome new salesperson. They have a great track record. And, you know, two months later, you're like, well, why aren't we in Whole Foods yet? You know, like, so how, how do you manage as as a founder, you know, hopefully you've done some sales yourself, you've gotten familiar with the, the review calendars and everything, but what recommendations do you have for managing expectations around timing and, and what to really expect a new salesperson to, to do as per, far as performance and closing new accounts and how to check those expectations as a founder with what's reasonable? Yeah. And this is really important to keep culture and morale high and the energy high because there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, you need to protect your team from those ups and downs. It's your job to take them, not theirs. And honestly, that's why it's so important that you have a very good understanding of how sales actually works in the industry. And you have a good sense of what you're handing them and how close some of these are to being closed versus how much of them are a process that is going to take a while. And that is how that would really help keep the expectations in check. Small accounts, if you're a regional brand, are fairly quick to close. Uh, they're not high volume, but large national accounts take a while. Uh, there's delays and reviews. There's all kinds of things that actually can thwart all of the good intentions out there. Right. Have you seen people have success with hiring like not necessarily a broker, but I've seen some groups that kind of straddle the line between they're not quite a broker. They're kind of trying to be like outsource sales or fractional sales. Have you seen people be successful with that type of model when they're first branching into needing some sales help? Yeah, actually doing kind of contractor help. Um, I've hired them multiple times. I've been hired as that multiple times. Um, I think it works in the right situation. Again, it depends. Um, if this founder is quite comfortable with the sales landscape and is looking to add a supplemental resource to cover either a specific retailer 
or a specific channel or specific geography um, and gives them the resources to go be successful, it's a great way to do it um, without being, again, married to this person. And another way to use them is, let's say, you know, you're in Whole Foods, you worked NorCal, you got it. Now you got expanded, say, nationally, and you're being pulled in a million different directions. But your best division is NorCal, and you still need to keep that hands-on. I've hired contractors that just focus on a specific region of a national retailer to make sure it continues to be the engine of that performance. So there's there's ways you can hire people to supplement. Um, I think with all hires, especially contractors, it's really important important to you know write out exactly what they are doing what the expectations are and how the term of the of the engagement is going to work just kind of saying yeah let's do it um and then going is just a recipe for losing friends and i don't like doing that right yeah and what balance of so you you mentioned before monitoring you know you've gotten you've gotten a sale on the shelf now you got to manage reorders and then you you're also going after new business and as as a first hire you're going to be doing some of both of of that you know what kind of uh, I guess what kind of split do you generally see or have you seen people be successful of all right, making sure that your current accounts are successful and maximizing them and then going out and getting new accounts. And then at what point do you have so many existing accounts that you need a separate salesperson to hire just those those reorders? And this gets into hunters versus farmers. So in the beginning, startups need hunters. That's kind of all they need. Um, and you need to go hunt and find new accounts, go kill them and bring them in. And there are certain salespeople that love doing that. I'd be one of them. The other is farmers. These are kind of classic account managers that know how to optimize and grow existing distribution. And they are largely experts in the customer at hand. Uh, sometimes these are large ones like Kroger and Walmart um, that require that kind of dedicated person to it. But I think in the beginning, you should always be biased to hunting. Again, the engine is what matters and momentum is a heck of a thing. So build momentum whenever you can as a startup. And that can mean new doors, but that can also mean other things. So you don't you don't want to go so fast that you you don't have the capital to produce the inventory to service those customers. You got to be, you know, I'm assuming everyone's responsible with their cash at this point, but you want to be a hunter. Um, farming is probably 20% of your business and 80% is hunting, especially for the first like, you know, four years probably. Um, and even then you're still going to be hunting quite a bit. You just will have to start building out a much more robust sales team that does involve, you know, specific account managers or specific channel managers. And sometimes uh, it's also important to note that once you have existing distribution, marketing comes into the pool too. So they come in and as sometimes salespeople will say, it's my job to get it on the shelf. It's marketing's job to get it off the shelf. So I don't subscribe to that. Uh, and those are some things that you can do to find out if the salesperson can be cross-functional, but it's my job to make sure there's promotions in place and that I'm working with marketing to really drive activity at certain times. But there are other other folks in the organization that are watching existing business, including finance and some others. So there's more support in that area, which, you know, is great because it, it does free you up to allow sales to be sales. And do you have any, it could be a, it could be a story or just an example, but of like some pitfalls that uh, you've seen that making a, a 
first hire in sales that wasn't successful or didn't work out or mistakes that you see founders make when they're hiring their first salesperson? Any stories or examples or things that you see? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to protect certain companies and things like that, but (laughs) I, I think that you, you, I've seen them hire people that have zero experience and they're hiring on passion alone. And passion can get you really, really far. And that's coming from somebody that was largely driven by that almost entirely. Um, but CPG is a, is a big business. Um, it's an old business and the world we occupy and say disruptive, innovative brands is this tiny little sub branch of it. But in order to actually be successful in the big machine, you just have to know how it works and where the pitfalls are and you know, you'll get kind of mm, asked to do things from organizations that don't have your best interest in mind. And you have no way to determine what their intentions are, what the other side looks like. And there's huge slotting dollars involved. So I think there's a mistake oftentimes, a misplaced mistake that, that we're like tech and that you can get these people that'll just sit there and code all day. Um, this is a little bit of a different industry. We've got physical products. They move around. You got to understand distribution. You got to understand some category analytics. You got to be comfortable with, you know, percentages and maths and markups and gross margins. Um, and so salespeople need to be a little bit technical. And so it's important. And I would say I would actually bias more to a technical person over passion provided they're resourceful. And they they can deal with ambiguity because um, that will backstop a founder quite a bit because a founder is usually a, a somewhat big picture thinker or they're ta- they're pulled in a million different directions. And having a good responsible uh, salesperson who is a you know mm, sometimes a rule follower can be good. Um, I'm not a rule follower. I I always have a rule follower on my team because I need somebody who follows the rules. Because again, if it's just a bunch of people like salespeople who typically don't want to follow the rules, then it can get you into trouble. So I think it depends. Um, I look to, to, again, kind of source things that I'm weak at. And I've seen where people just go with people like them, or they, you know, try to get you know, founders who have no experience in the business sometimes don't like hiring a salesperson that has strong opinions about how something should go. And there's challenges there. It starts to get very hard when somebody you hired knows more about the business than you do. And that's why I encourage you guys to at least get, you know, knee deep in sales and understand what you're doing before you hire these people, because it it can just cause internal conflict. Yeah, that makes sense. And what tips do you have for making a hire, especially right now, it's really tough to hire people as we all know this is not not new news, but, you know, as people are trying to recruit someone to come join their startup, what tips do you have for people for making making it an attractive place for someone to come work? And, you know, uh, where should they be looking? Is it just is it on LinkedIn? Is it reaching out to their network? You know, we've got we've got the startup CPG Slack with jobs, but any tips about finding that right person and where to source them? Yeah. Um, finding people is difficult. Uh, finding talent is incredibly challenging uh, and that doesn't go away. Um, and I think that's why it's important when you build those relationships early on in your career, you, you keep those people close because you never know when the two, you know, both of you guys are are looking for an opportunity and you can you know bring her in and you guys are rocking and rolling together again. Um, 
I think the best way to recruit is the best is is the same thing as you trying to sell to a retailer. It's it's the same fundamentals. You have got to show for me, if you were like trying to get me, I need some credibility here. I need to see that you understand this business enough to where I will follow you as a leader. I may know more technically about what's going on, but do I believe in your vision? Do I believe in your ability to execute that vision? And honestly, sometimes it comes down to what kind of, what does your funding situation look like? What kind of money do you have? And it's not to pay me, it's do you have enough money? Because I've been around the block enough to know that this is an expensive business and it sucks up a lot of cash and inventory and you need promotions and, you know, um, you should be as transparent as possible about where the challenges are in the business. But what is your plan to get to the next phase to where that's mitigated. So, you know, credibility, um, the job market is absolutely bonkers today. It's funny enough, you mentioned that I actually did talk to a recruiter friend of mine today and he, we were just catching up and he's, you know, just talking about how, you know, entry level people are looking six figures and above and it's just preposterous. And the stuff is, has largely flipped. And I'm not saying these people aren't worth it. I just, it's a different environment from two years ago. And I don't think everyone's fully caught up, not only on the job market, but what the actual market out there is like right now. Um, so it's an interesting time. I think the same things hold true credibility, uh, your financial position, uh, the vision. And I think finding talent is it's best to come from your network, but you may not be networked into CPG. That's why, you know, startup CPG is a fantastic resource. I wish it was around, you know, 10 years ago when I was there um, looking for this stuff. I think LinkedIn's a great place to recruit. Um, it's kind of like, you know, uh, I, I've, I stalk buyers on there and reach out to them on there. You should be able to do the same thing. Um, and I think, you know, certain brands attract certain people. And I think you should always kind of keep your keep your eyes and ears open. Trade shows are great places to go poach people to. Um, everyone's kind of mixing and talking and uh, it's just always a good time and opportunities are, are always kind of rosy and at trade shows. So anyway, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, that's great. And which would you say that is it is it fairly common to see uh, for a first salesperson for for equity to be on the table as an incentive? Or is it usually what you talked about before of you've you've got a base salary with some bonus opportunities? I'm wondering if you see equity get in there very often. Yeah, I think equity is usually, especially at the startup level, um, equity is largely, um, you know, uh, inversely correlated to pay scale. So if you can go heavy on options, if you don't have the cash to kind of give them what they want, uh, I think those are all things you can play with. Um, you know, time off. That's another like philosophy I have. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I've never watched somebody's days if they've taken, you know, uh, more than their two weeks we gave them or anything. I, I literally just look at output and say, as long as you're getting your job done, I could care less what you're doing. Um, and I think that type of stuff, uh, culture matters. And yeah, I, I do think that equity is part of that culture where you want to have, you know, you want everyone rowing on the same oar and have the same upside and feel like they're kind of part of that ground floor. But does it need to be on everything? No, uh, there's plenty of scenarios where it's not there and it's a perfectly attractive um, uh, career move. So, yeah. And is there anything else that you want to share related to making your first sales hire that we haven't covered yet? No, I think, um, you know, just 
a couple of maybe a final thought is just, you know, be be very slow to hire these people. Um, take your time. Don't feel the pressure. I know you feel like you need to get them in, but trust me, if you got the wrong person in, it is going to slow you down much more than if you wait to make sure that's the right person. And again, you're defined by what you say no to more than what you say yes to. So I think just be cautious, make sure it's the right fit for you and um, kind of find that that person and, and, you know, sense check, not just on the traditional uh, show me some references, but, you know, the world's pretty transparent nowadays. You can find people they work with, use your network, use LinkedIn, get a get a 360 degree view of these people and make sure you get a good idea of what their weaknesses are. Um, I have zero problem. I'll tell people what my weaknesses are, which is why I hire around it. And it's okay if that's, you know, not the same fit as the founder. Um, so anyway, hopefully those, those comments are helpful, but yeah, it's, it's a fun time. If you have the ability to hire your first sales hire, that means you've done a fantastic job up until then you're so busy with the sales that you've created. You've got a lot of momentum. And I think that makes the hiring process that much more exciting for the hire. Uh, when you get to show them like, look, we're bursting at the seams. I need you in here. And that makes them feel like they're going to come into kind of a, an already full pipeline and be able to add a lot of value really quickly. Those are super helpful tips. And this has just been so helpful and enlightening. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share with our community your wide breadth of experience and and just be able to share some tips about navigating this so so appreciate your time jake thank you so much i'm so glad you could come on the show yeah i was too i had a blast thank you jesse thanks for joining us this startup cpg podcast is executive produced by me jesse freitag theme music is by the super fantastics we'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts get the invite at startupcpg.com and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.